if you live your life for under the sun, then, then no matter how big the soap bubble looks, no matter how real the soap bubble appears, it, as soon as you had, had any hope of grabbing hold of it, you're going to find out it's just like mist. It's like a vapor. It just quickly disappears. And then the preacher just piles up illustrations at right afterwards, verse 5. It's kind of like the sun. The, the sun, what do you say? The sun rises, the sun goes down, and then it hastens. It's in a hurry. And what's, it, what's it's in a hurry to reach? Uh, the place it started. I mean, the sun rises, and you think, wow, it's awesome, and it goes through the sky, and, and then it hurries back to, to, to the place it all began. It's like living your life on a treadmill. No matter how fast you go when you get off, you've you've really never gone anywhere. It's all vanity if that's how you live your life. Or like a river, verse 7. All the streams run into the sea. Isn't it amazing? The Cape Fear River runs into the Atlantic Ocean. But the Atlantic Ocean is never full. It never says, okay, Cape Fear, I'm done. And you have life, it's, it's running into your life. You're, you're trying to say, if I can just get academics or this person or this finance or whatever it is, if I could just fill my life up with this, but it doesn't matter how much you have, you're never quite satisfied, you're never full, you never say, hey, I've, I've had enough, because there's a, there's a hole, a God-shaped vacuum in every heart. That if you try to stuff it with other things, you're, you're always still hungry. And then perhaps the worst news, especially for our generation, verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes. Verse 11, but there is no remembrance of the former. Nor will there be any remembrance of the later ones. What, what do you mean? What do you mean there's not going to be any remembrance of me? I can pay somebody, did you know this, to keep my Facebook account uh, alive even after I'm dead. I mean, Paul, I've got likes, I've got friends, I've got followers, I've got a platform. What do you mean that when I, when I leave, nobody's going to really remember me? The preacher would say, your life is... Not like Facebook, it's a more, lot more like Snapchat. It comes up, and in 10 seconds it's gone. What's the Snapchat icon? It's a ghost. It's like your life. If that's how you live your life or underneath the sun, it may be here, it may make a great big splash, and you may say, well, look, I'm really living, people are going to remember me, but guess what? In a generation or two, nobody's going to know you existed. So he's, the preacher's trying to say with the sun or the rivers or the generations, whatever it is, that just look at how life works. And there's got to be something more than just what's underneath this sun. I recently enjoyed reading an article by a, a scientist. He's a futurist, which I'm not quite sure what that means, but his name is Ray Kurzweil, I think is his name. You may have heard of him. And he has a title of an article, The 700-Calorie Breakfast That You Should Eat If You Want to Live Forever. 
He spends $1 million a year on pills. He takes 100 pills a day, down from 250, hoping to live forever. What would the preacher say? No matter how long your life is, if you just live your life or the life under the sun, even if you lived for 200 or 300 years, it's vanity. Chasing after things in this life, hoping that that's really going to be satisfying, is vanity. So now he's going to drop into some proofs. And the whole rest of the book is proofs. You can look at it yourself later in the week and just read a chapter a week. And he basically just peels off all these things that he's caught and said, you know, when I caught it, I thought it was going to be something that's really like a soap bubble. The ones I'm just going to mention briefly, wine, women, or sexual appetite, work, wisdom, and wealth. All start with W. Very easy to remember. Let's look at chapter 2, the first 10 verses. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Sounds very contemporary. But behold, this is also vanity. I said to laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly or foolishness till I might see what is good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days, the vaporous days of their life. I made great works. So we've got wine and works. I built myself houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of the growing trees. I I bought male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. And I also had great possessions of herbs and flocks and more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I'd also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings. I got singers, both men and women and many concubines. The delight of the children of man. So I became great. And I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever, here's his motto, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. So here's a sampling. Wine, women, Work and wisdom in these just just these ten verses. For a season, the preacher lives by the motto in verse 10, whatever my eyes desired, I didn't keep anything from them. Uh, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, it says, what is the chief end of man? What is that? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What is this man's chief end? To glorify myself and enjoy myself forever. That's, that's his motto. He's just saying, yeah, it's all about glory, but it's all about my glory. It's all about the things that I'm chasing after for myself. And the first thing I did is I, I, I had a drink. Verse 3, wine. Life is short. So I drank wine and I grabbed all the foolishness that I can. I remember so many of these people, especially when I was in high school and college. Life is short. You never know if you're going to get another chance. So let's drink up and just grab for all the foolishness that I can grab for 
in one moment. Then he moves from wine to work in verse 4 through 7. And notice that the maximum use of personal pronouns. I made, I built for myself. I made myself twice. And then if he can't get enough done by himself and for himself, verse 7, he buys other people to make things for himself. And in case anyone's counting, he has, verse 9, greater possessions than anybody else. He, he embodies the bumper sticker, he who dies with the most toys wins. I'm the winner. I have the most toy, toys. I, I, have, I have surpassed anybody in all the things that somebody could gather. Plus, I have women, verse 8. What a picture. Here's a, here's a wealthy king at a grand party. So much gold and silver, it's just spilling out of the, the coffers. He's encircled by beautiful women. He's got the best musician, the entertainers. Everyone's around him and everyone's looking at him and everyone's envying him. Everybody's looking at this man saying, he's got it made. Man, I wish I had his life. What a life. He's He's an endless party. He's endlessly entertained. And if this man were alive today, he'd be on the cover of Fortune and Forbes magazine. He'd be covered by TMZ for the parties that he throws. And you'd see him on a splash of People magazine saying, this guy, he's, he's handsome. He's rich. He's wise. He's done all these great things. He has all these beautiful people and entertainers constantly surrounding him. And our culture would drool and say, if I could only be like him. Then he gives us his own conclusion. Verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done. All this toil, all this foolishness, all this grabbing for things. Everything I expended and behold, all was, what does it say? Vanity. I I was chasing after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He, He gets to the end of the pleasure rainbow and he doesn't find the pot of gold he finds a a soap bubble neil postman wrote in a very important book back in 1985 the title of it was called amusing ourselves to death and in neil postman's book he analyzes two different books and then makes this conclusion one of the books he analyzes is george orwell's 1984 if you've been through high school probably you've read that book and then another one he, he analyzes in juxtaposition is Aldous Huxley's book, A Brave New World. And so here's what Postman says about these two books. He, he says the public is not going to be oppressed by the state. That was Orwell's vision. The state's going to get heavy, heavy-handed, and everybody's going to live in this oppressive state. Instead, he believes Huxley was right. That the public will be oppressed by their addiction to amusement. Now listen what he says carefully. What Orwell feared, the oppression of the state, were those who would ban books. What Huxley feared was that there would be no reason to ban a book. For there would be no one who wanted to read one. 
Orwell feared the truth would be concealed, and Huxley feared the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Man. Right on target. Orwell feared we'd become captive of culture. Huxley feared we would become a trivial culture. Those who fear state-controlled have failed to take into account man's almost infinite appetite for distractions. We are prepared to resist a prison when the gates begin to close in around us. But who is prepared, listen, but who is prepared to take up arms against the sea of amusements? What is the antidote to a culture being drained by pleasure? Do you see what's happening? Huxley is saying, and Postman is saying is right, what's happened is we're going to be in a wash of triviality. We're going to be in a, a wash of pleasure. We're going to be in a wash of amusement. So the prison closes around you, and you don't even know it. Your life is complete vanity, but you're inside this culture of triviality that you no, no longer even know you're there. The preacher would have read Postman's book and said, yep, nothing new under the sun. 2,500 years ago, Neil Postman, this is what life was like. People were chasing soap bubbles 2,500 years ago. I was one of them. I caught a lot of these soap bubbles, and it's all vanity. So the preacher then says, okay, I've tried wine, and I've tried work, and I've tried women, and how about wisdom? Maybe wisdom is going to be satisfying. Maybe if I just lock myself in the in the academia, if I understand how The world works. That's going to be satisfied. So I turned, verse 12, chapter 2. I turned. I'm turning away from this entertainment towards wisdom. For what can a man do after after he becomes the king? For what has only been done? And then this is his conclusion. After he turns towards wisdom, then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. Definitely. And there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes and his head, but the fool walks around in darkness. So he doesn't want to be this fool anymore. He wants to walk around in the light. And then he has this. And, but yet I perceive that the same event happens to them all. And then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me. Why then I have been so very wise. And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. For the wise, as of the fool, there is no remembrance. Yeah, I, can chase, I can chase down the academic degrees, or I can chase down foolishness, but in the next generation, nobody knows we existed. So he's stuck. He fi- finds himself stuck. I keep chasing after these things, hoping this hole in my heart's going to be filled. And I tried all these things of pleasure. They didn't work. I went out for wisdom thinking that's going to work. And, and it's like a man in a dark tunnel. He's looking for a way out. Is there anything else he can invest his life in that might somehow produce happiness? In verse chapter 5 and 6, he turns to wealth. Chapter 5, verse 10. This is his conclusion about wealth. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. Oh, 
Surely I thought the lottery ticket would do it. Have you ever thought, you know, you hear these stories about people who win the lottery and then how terrible their lives are afterwards. You ever hear these stories? They lose all their friends. They lose all their money. And do you ever say this? Don't raise your hand. I'd like a shot at that. That's foolishness. That's foolishness whispering into your mind thinking, oh, but if, if I got the 10 million, the 100 million, I could somehow handle it and I'd be okay. That is foolishness. That is vanity. This man actually gets the lottery ticket and he says it doesn't do any good because, verse 11, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. Amen. When, when you get more and more, it seems like things come into your life who gobble up the more and more. And it may be people or it may be toys. I remember my first job, my first full-time job on the Young Life staff. Sorry, Parker. But I made $17,000. I think that was just above the poverty line. And if somebody at that point had said, Paul, one day you might make $47,000 or $87,000, I would have been like, whoa, how could I possibly spend all that money? Oh, very easily, the preacher would say. Because things will start eating your money. People will come into your life who need more and more and more. And it doesn't matter if you go from 17000 or $17 million, It just you have more things that eat at your money. They're constantly consuming what you have. And then he gives this terrible and bitter example of what's happened to one man, verse Chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on my, mankind. This is, it's not just happened to him, it's happened to others. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him the power to enjoy it. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If this man fathers a hundred children and lives as many lives so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is never satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better than that man. Wow. This man goes unfulfilled. He's connected to everything in the world, but he's not connected to God. What can a man gain if he gains the whole world, Jesus asked, but yet forfeits his soul? See, this man has everything he could possibly desire. And even if he lived a hundred years or a thousand years, he's never going to be satisfied. Randy Alcorn, who's written a lot about finances, says this, He who lays up treasures on earth spends his life backing away from those treasures. He who lays up treasures on earth spends his whole life backing away from those treasures. To him, death is a loss. He who lays up treasures in heaven looks forward to eternity. He's moving towards his treasure. To him, death is a gain. He who spends his life moving away from his treasure only has reason for despair. You see this man, he had gotten everything he wanted... But he knew he was moving away from his treasure. He's aging. 
He didn't have 250 pills to take every day. And he constantly is moving away from his treasure. And while he's moving away from it, he doesn't enjoy it. Other people do. And it eats away at his finances. And he can never be happy. And this man, unfortunately, his life goes unlamented. He's not only unfulfilled, he's unlamented. He has no burial. It's like he was just stillborn. Here's a man who had everything and everyone would say, I wish he could be him. And this preacher is saying, nobody's going to remember who he is. It was a vanity because he wasn't connected to Jesus. Having everything minus Jesus is vanity, is what the preacher is trying to tell us. I don't know, it was maybe a month ago. I'm walking through our house and Nancy's working on the computer and she has a television on and it's National Geographic something. <clears throat> and I'm asking her a question and then I just kind of turn and watch what, what's on. Television happens to be about uh, some little thing in India. So I have an interest in India, so I kind of stand there and watch it for a little while. And uh, the, the people are interviewing this tribe, I guess is the best way to describe it, in India. And they believe that fawns, the offspring of a deer, are their children. And so they treat them like their children. So you see like a little courtyard and the kids are playing and fawns are bouncing around. You know, like this, I've been to India. There's a lot of strange things in India. This isn't super surprising. It's sad that they think these fawns who don't come from them and don't look like them and don't look like their other children, but somehow they're their children. They treat them like their children. And what was horrifying to me was when the woman pulled out her breast and began to nurse one of the fawns. I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, it's one thing to feed them, you know, some grain or whatever a fawn eats. It's one thing to kind of keep them protected. But they're sucking the life out of you. It seemed foolish. Until I wondered what's sucking the life out of you what what do you hold to your breast and say oh but paul wine wisdom wealth women this is life and i want you to hear the preacher say it's foolishness it's absolute vanity It's as stupid looking as watching this woman nurse a fawn. It's as grotesque and disturbing as watching this woman think this fawn is her child. This fawn is her hope. Your money, your possession, your wealth, your position. If that's your hope, that's foolishness. It's every bit as foolish as that woman nursing a fawn. So the preacher is coming to us to say, don't live your life this way. Don't live in such a a foolish way. So he closes just with one statement in chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. The end of the matter. So he's given you his vanity of vanities. If you live your life for just underneath the sun, it's vanity. He's given you all his postulates and theorems. And now the end of a matter. All has been heard. Here's what you need to do. Live in the fear of God. Keep his commandments. 
This is your whole duty. For God will bring into to, to bring every deed into judgment. You have to live with eternity in mind. Not just the life underneath the sun. Every secret thing, whether good or evil, will be brought in to the presence of God on a final day of judgment. And you have to prepare for that day today. So are you living your life for whatever's underneath this sun? You're just hoping the girlfriend, the grade, the foolishness, the wisdom, the wealth, that's going to do it. That's going to be shown in the light of God's glory. And that's going to look so foolish that you've got that nursing at your breast, hoping that's going to give you life. Live with eternity in mind. Live with Jesus Christ in mind. Understand. Whitney did such a great job. What gives her joy? What gives her hope? It's not going to be the things underneath this sun. It's going to be because of the sun. So what's giving you life? What's giving you hope? Hear the preacher. Let's pray together. Lord, every one of us, if, if, there, if we could see spiritually what we give ourselves to, hoping it's going to give us life, we would feel foolish. And so my prayer that uh, this divine intersection here with every heart, every soul, you would use these wise words from 2,500 years ago to tell us to not live in vain, but to live with the end in mind, to live with the idea of eternity and light of eternity. Help us not to follow after this old, tried rut of wisdom, of wealth, of wine, of sexuality, hoping to find pleasure in those things. Instead, would you lift us out of that pit and place our feet on the rock who is Jesus Christ. Amen.